It's amazing that we can that we can worship God together, isn't it? It's it's one of the fundamental things for us as Christians. And uh, yeah, you know that. Um, I'm getting my notes completely the wrong way around, but that's okay. <laughs> you know that not everybody. Or let's start this like this. You know that God's presence isn't felt the same everywhere all the time. Have you noticed that? You must have noticed that. I first noticed it when I was a little boy and my grandmother used to pray. And when she prayed, it was, there was something else. I didn't even know God. But when my grandmother prayed, something happened. Like a shift happened in the atmosphere. And as a little boy, I could experience that. Have you experienced that before? I hope so. <laughs> That's a life lived. She was in her 80s. That's a life lived in the presence of God. And when she spoke to God, he paid attention. You could feel it. Wouldn't you want that? I want that. I want that. I want to know that when I pray, God stops and he listens. And there are a couple of things that actually does open the presence of God more than other things. I'm going to list them quickly. We can get to them again at the end. But it's if you see God with everything you've got. So it's spending time in his word. It is praying to God. It is looking for him, waking up in the morning. And before you think of anything else, think of God. And that's the thing you need to practice. It doesn't just happen. You actually have to, you have to put your mind to it. You have to be thinking of that. You've got to put that in your program. Write it in your diary. Like right at the top of every page. So that, you know, we all buy those diaries with like scriptures in it and then we ignore it for the whole year. Don't you? I've done that. I've had a diary with scriptures at the bottom and I never read one. The reason you buy the diary is so that you can spend time with God. So it's a reminder But if it's just there, it's actually worthless. You have to actually spend time in it. Not just read it, but actually consider it. Seek God. Have a relationship with his son, Jesus. That's the other thing that brings the presence. Jesus said that. He said, if you spend time with me and my father, then we will come and abide with you. How awesome is that? He Jesus said that. He said, my Father, myself, and the Holy Spirit would come abide with you. Come hang out with you. That's the presence of God. Worship and praise is the other one. What we've just done, worshiping God, praising him together, that brings the presence of God, a tangible. If you do enough of that, then there's a residue of presence of God. So, this is an act that the, the apostles had so much of the presence of God, right? That they sent a handkerchief around that was touched by, I think, Peter or Paul. And they took the handkerchief and they put it on a sick person and the sick person got healed because the handkerchief, is it a magic handkerchief? 
It was just a piece of cloth, like any other piece of cloth. Was it, was it the holiness of the apostle? They touched it? No. It was the amount of relationship, time, and Holy Spirit that was residing in him that could be transferred to a piece of cloth that could be taken to a sick person and that sick person got healed by the power of God. That's the presence of God. You can carry that. It wasn't just 12 guys. We can carry that. Obedience brings the presence of God. Obedience brings the presence of God. If, if we do what he said, it says so, like, if you love me, you would do what I say. It's, a, it's an expression of our love towards God when we're obedient to him. And that, it catches his attention. How do I know that? Noah. Noah caught the attention of God. God looked over the entire planet. He couldn't find anyone like Noah. He, he was looking and he went, okay, this guy, I can work with him. The world had gone to such a place that God destroyed the entire planet except one family. And actually, not the, the family got saved by one man. His sons and daughters and sons-in-law and daughters-in-law, they got saved with him in the ark. Not because they were so great, because Noah caught the attention of God. He was obedient, caught God's attention. Fellowship. Us, hanging out together. God says this, he says, where two or more of you are together, I am. Why do we get together on a Sunday? I wouldn't miss it for the world. Seriously, for the world. Because the worst thing is if you go on, on holiday and you hear, oh, they had so much fun at church. Not they played bingo. Sorry, Mandy, you missed out. <laughs> Not they played bingo. But actually the presence of God came. That's the worst news to hear. Actually, you know what? The best news to hear is, ah, they just had fun at church. They played bingo. For those that weren't here, we did play bingo. <laughs> but that's not the worst news. That's great. God's presence was here, and there's fun and everything. But imagine you go on leave and you go away for the Sunday, and you hear we were all flat on our faces. So and so that's never spoken in tongues, spoken tongues. There was a sick guy, he got healed. And people from outside in the street that were walking with their dog came in and got saved. Huh? That Sunday, you don't want to miss that Sunday. We can have that Sunday every Sunday. It is dependent on how much time we spend with God on our own. And then when we come together, we bring that together and that explodes. That gets God's attention. Gratitude and thankfulness. Mervis was talking about how to worship God. How do you put a worship session together? Yes, we actually talk about those things and we practice and we, we consider what songs we put together when, we, when the guys put stuff together. 
So Mervis said this. He says, one of the, one of the easiest ways of getting a congregation to worship God is to make the first song about gratitude and thankfulness. Something of the thankfulness and gratitude will bring God's presence. And that takes the congregation into worship. Unfortunately, there aren't that many songs. That's about gratitude and thankfulness that you can sing as a first song. How scary is that? That when we compose, as human beings, compose music for God, not too many about gratitude and thankfulness. Serving one another, serving others, that brings the presence of God. God loves it. He says, I love a cheerful giver. Not out of duty, not out of a sense of, I had to do this, or will somebody see me? But actually serving others out of a gratitude towards God brings God's presence. It catches his attention. That would bring the presence of God. We, we need that. That's short. That's a shorthand. Like these things, if you practice these, you will walk around with God's presence. That wasn't my preach at all. Um, <laughs> okay. I, um, I said last Sunday that often I title my preachers online with a title that gets people to click it. We call it clickbait. So this Sunday, after the, after the preach, I would like somebody to come and tell me what the clickbait title could be. No, you get nothing. You get to have that title on the internet. <laughs> I'm raising capitalists. <laughs> what do I get? <laughs> so, you know that in, um, in Exodus, Israel was in a desert and... Um, God spoke to Moses, and then he said to Moses, build me a box. Build me a box, and cover it with gold, put some ornaments on it, and uh, then I'll live in the box. You know that story, Exodus 25. If you Google this, you'll actually find that people say that God lives in that box, and everybody's still looking for the box. They called it the Ark of the Covenant. That's wrong, though. God never lived in a box. God doesn't live in a box. Actually, when they built that box, God was so not in that box that there was fire by night that lit the entire desert where Israel was and heated it because it gets cold in the desert. And by day, there was a cloud which was the presence of God, that shaded them from the sun. God was not in the box. <laughs> what the box represented was just a picture. The box represented God's presence. They didn't really need the box to remind them. I think they saw the cloud and the fire. <laughs> right. But God said, build a box. Why? Why did God do that? 
Because we need pictures. That's why. Because we need, we need to see stuff. We don't get it if we don't experience it. So God gave a picture. And the incredible thing is that God paints all these pictures all over the Bible. And the Ark of the Covenant is one of those. It's not just a picture for Israel. It's a picture for us. So let me explain why. What was it all about? So it's a box covered in gold. On the outside, it had two angels on both sides facing one another. In the middle, there was what they called the mercy seat. was an area above the box. And inside the box, they put stuff. What did they put in there? Who knows? Ten commandments on tablets. Did God write those or did Moses write those? No, God wrote the first ones. Moses wrote the second ones. So the ones that God wrote, Moses broke. And then Moses wrote two more. And those were in the box. Yes? So we've got the Ten Commandments. What else, what else is in the box? A jar with manna. What is manna? Food. So there was a golden jar thingy with manna in it, which was the food that they got everything. One more thing. What else? A rod. Aaron's staff. You've been reading. <laughs> Aaron's staff. What was special about Aaron's, Aaron's staff? Nobody. Siggy. It was, it was budding. So imagine this. Aaron had a staff. It was cut from wood. It was, you don't have, you don't cut it from a tree. You, you pick it up and then you fashion a, a rod or a staff. But what happened was, you can read this in Numbers 16, 17. There were a bunch of guys that said, you know what, we're envious of Aaron. Why does he get to be special? Why is he the high priest? We could do that. Who says he was chosen? Moses? Just because your family, probably. And then God said to Moses, no, no, no. Okay, get everybody that wants to have this position. Put your staff down here. All of you. Put your staffs all in a row. And then all of a sudden, Aaron's staff went back to life. And it had no roots, but all of a sudden it started growing and it budded. And it was carrying flowers and fruit. That staff is in the Ark of the Covenant with flowers and fruit on it. And it's a symbol that Aaron was chosen by God. So it's a symbol that he was the high priest that, that stood in the place uh, on behalf of the nation of Israel. That's what the staff meant. What did, the, what did the, the manna mean? The manna was there because it represented God's provision and it, that God feeds his, 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 um, his people. That's the manna. And then the, and then the, uh, the tablets of the, of the law were on there. And that's the moral law of God. So there's a lot of laws, 666 of them. But those laws are called the moral law. The big thing is, it actually is in the Ark of the Covenant to show you that the moral law of God stays forever. That that law never goes away. So what does it mean to us today? What does the Ark mean to us? Their entire Ark is a picture of Jesus. So the manna. It's a life-giving food. 
So Jesus says this in, let me see this. So yeah, John 6 verse 32, if you put that up. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses, who had, was it not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. So it wasn't Moses, it was, it was my father. And then he goes on and he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever has comes to me will never go hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the life-giving sacrifice for us. Aaron's growing rod. Well, in Hebrews 4 verse 14, it says this. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Mm, that's not what I've got here. Um, I think I've just got a different translation. So mine says this. <laughs> Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. I like the has ascended into heaven, but <laughs> through heaven sounds funny. Um, what does that mean? Jesus takes the place of Aaron. Jesus is the new high priest. Jesus made that applicable to us. It goes on to say there, it says that we don't have a high priest that can't associate with us anymore. Actually, Jesus is now our high priest, and he can fully associate with us. Not only that, he died for us. But before he died, and that's where the Ten Commandments, he carries the law in himself. So Jesus carries the law. He fulfilled it. He never sinned. Crazy. Not even once. He never sinned. So he fulfilled that law, and then he died for us. So where's that with this thing? Well, on the Day of Atonement, which is one of the Jewish festivals, they would sprinkle blood of the sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant. And that resembled the sacrifice that they, that, that was paid on behalf of this, for the sin. It's a day of atonement, atonement for sin. And then what happened was God's glory appeared on the mercy seat of the Ark. So as the blood was sprinkled to atone for the sins of the people, God's glory would appear. Because now he could come into the presence of the people without them dying. Because their sin has been atoned for. That's what Jesus did. Jesus died. His blood was sprinkled. And now God's glory comes. Where? Well, it's called the seat of mercy, right? The big thing is, on the outside of that box, there were also some things. That's the mercy seat. There were two angels depicting, so like looking towards the mercy seat. So we see this. Mary runs into the grave of Jesus after he was resurrected. And what does she find there? Two angels facing one another, just like on the, on the, on the ark, and 
between them, the empty grave site, the resurrected Christ. There was one more thing on the, on the box, on the outside, and that was golden rings. The whole thing was covered with gold. Um, golden rings. And the golden rings were there so that the box could be carried, the ark could be carried. So they put poles through there, and then the priests lifted it, and then they walked with it. And Brad Verena said this the other day, and I heard it for the first time then. The significance, I've always wondered about this, the significance of why did they have to carry the ark? Why not just put it on a cart or something? Why carry it? But it was the priests that carried the symbol of the presence of God among the people. So, in a sense, those rings are so significant. Because today, we carry the presence of God. You do. The world experiences God's presence through you or not at all. That's the significance. Sure. It was covered in gold. Why? Why gold? What's the significance of gold? Who's got chemistry? Gold doesn't rust. Nathan added. <laughs> Gold doesn't rust. Gold is one of the only metals that does not react with oxygen. It doesn't oxidize. You can throw gold in alkaline substance, in water, you can leave it in air, you can throw it in the ocean. You can even put it in acid. Gold doesn't tarnish. That's why they use gold. That's why gold is expensive. That's why gold is still valuable today. But it resembles the holiness of God. It resembles the beauty, the untarnished, the unblemishedness. I started today with how do we carry the presence of God? Remember that list? That if you have those things in your life, it means that you don't react to the world anymore. It means that you become unblemished. The more time you spend with God, the more you seek Him, the more you worship Him, the more you carry thankfulness in your heart, the more you fellowship with the rest of the believers. The more we serve one another, the less tarnished we are, the holier we become, really. Not holier than thou, <laughs> holier for real. Holy for real is humble. Because there's no way that I can be good enough for God without God. It's not in me at all. It is God that does that. But we then carry the presence of God for the world. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? 
So, no, God doesn't live in a box. He lives in us. And today we don't carry a box around to show the presence of God. God wants us to carry his presence into the world. So, for us today, yeah, what does it mean? Yo, where do I take it? <laughs> Bernard, where do we land this? <laughs> Stacking notes. But for us, guys, Mandy, <laughs> for us, what does it mean? How do we carry God's presence? So I think the first question I have to ask this is, has God's, has Jesus' blood paid for you? I think that's the first question. Because without that atoning blood, God's presence cannot come into me. 